So Joshua 6, and I'm going to read verses 16 through 19. If you're familiar with the story of the Battle of Jericho, the people have been marching around the city. Right? They've done this. They've marched around for six days, and then on the seventh day, they're marching around seven times, and this is where we pick it up here. And it says, In the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent And you, this is here, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord that they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And Lord, we we pray Your blessing on this time of study today, Lord. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would pour out your blessing on the reading of your word. And now as we focus in, I pray that we will be able to push aside distractions of the day, things that are weighing us down. Maybe somebody's here with a heavy heart in the midst of this, Lord. I pray that we would be able to push aside all these things and focus on what you would have to say to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, The rest of chapter 6, what we see is the fall of Jericho, right? The walls, uh, the walls, they come crashing down. God provides the people with this miraculous victory. And it's, it's from that point of coming victory where Joshua gives the instructions in the verses that we just read. And what does he say there related to the spoil? What does he say? He said, verse 18, you by all means abstain From the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the whole camp of Israel a curse. So it's important for us to understand, guys, that the taking of the spoil, that was not inherently wrong. Taking of spoil wasn't inherently wrong. What I mean by that is there are some acts that are by themselves wrong. Murder, right? Murder is wrong because the act of murder is wrong. It's the taking of human life. These would be universal truths. If you were taking an ethics class, it might be described as an absolute. Taking a spoil is not one of those things. We're actually going to see many times later on where the people are allowed to take of the spoil. And the spoil, if, if you not, don't understand what that means, it's basically the valuable stuff that's left behind after a battle, right? If you won the Gaga Ball tournament and afterwards everybody had to give you their shoes and all their money and, and all their jewelry, right? That's, that would be the spoils from your victory. So that's what it's talking about when it talks about the spoil here, the things that were left over. Uh, and, and there would be battles in the future where they were allowed to do this. So then why in this situation was it wrong? And this trips some people up. Say, well, if taking the spoil itself wasn't wrong, Why in this situation was it wrong? The simple answer is this. It was wrong because it was against the command of the Lord. You know, if you see a parent with a little kid and they tell the child not to cross the street and the child goes ahead and crosses the street, 
The moment that they do that, they've sinned. Why? Because crossing the street is wrong? Well, no, right? Kids cross the street all the time. There's plenty of times where it's okay to cross the street, right? But for whatever reason, in that situation, the parents told them not to cross the street. And the moment that they did that, they violated the command of the parent, and that became a sin. And that's what this situation, that's what's taking place here, right? God has given them these instructions not to take of the spoil. And so the moment that somebody would do that, it would become a sin. See, God was going to give these people a miraculous victory. He, he was going to do it in such a way that there was no doubt that it was God that did it. And because of that, that spoil, right, the proceeds, all of the honor from that victory, from that battle, was to actually go back to the Lord. See, those things in this situation had already been consecrated. They'd already been set apart for another purpose. Now, did the people necessarily understand why it was wrong in the situation? Well, no, not necessarily, right? They might not have known why taking the spoil in this situation was wrong. But was it clear to them that they were not allowed to take it? The answer to that is yes, right? Joshua's instructions are very clear. You'll be cursed, and the whole camp of Israel will be cursed. Guys, these are situations that we need to be very careful with. See, sometimes when I don't understand why something is wrong, or maybe if I don't agree that that thing is actually wrong, I can have a tendency to try to convince myself that it's not actually wrong. For example, there are a lot of people, not anybody in here, but there are a lot of people who would cheat on homework that wouldn't cheat on a test. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I forgot to do my homework today. Ah, it's not that big of a deal, right? Right before class, you grab your classmate's homework. You jot down the few things that you forgot to do. Boom, bam, everything's fine. Well, why is that? Why do we think through it like that? Well, a test is a big deal, right? A test is a big deal. It's worth a lot of points. That's what we're, we're gearing towards a test. You, you can't cheat on a test. But homework? Homework's stupid, right? Why do we even get homework to begin with? I'm, I'm with you, I, I, right? Most of the time. Why, why are we ever getting homework to begin with? It's, half the time, the teacher doesn't even grade it. She just like, wants to see if it's done. What's the big deal, right? I'm just going to copy these couple things down. The teacher might not even ask for it. It's not really that big of a deal. And see, we've convinced ourselves that... Eh, Cheating on tests, that's wrong. Homework, yeah. Homework's not a big deal. Or another example, right? There are very few people in here who, if your mom asks you to do something, would curse her out to her face, right? Say, Mom, there's no way, blah, 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 right? I hope nobody in here would do that. But I would venture to say that there have been times where people in here, if you've been in your room and you hear your mom calling you, you know, she's asking you to do something. You just pop those headphones on, right? 30 minutes later, mom's still trying to get a hold of you. Finally, she comes in. And you're like, huh, what? Oh, sorry, I had my headphones on. I didn't know. I didn't know, right? Oh, it's mom. She asked me to do stuff all the time. She wanted me to take out the trash. I can take out the trash later. That's not that big of a deal, right? 
because it's mom, because she asked me to do stuff all the time, because I was busy doing something else, I get to it later. It's not really that big of a deal to ignore what she's trying to say to me. Now I'll take it a step further because this can start to get serious. Most people would say, freely admit, even in the unbelieving world, that adultery is wrong, right? Oh, they recognize, you know what? You've made a commitment to this person. And the believers would say, we've made this commitment in front of God. We recognize it's wrong to break that commitment to the Lord and to this person. The unbelieving world recognizes that. By and large, it's wrong to cheat on your spouse. But what about sex outside of marriage? Is that really wrong? Right? If, if both people want to do it? Why is it wrong? Why would God say that's wrong? It just seems kind of arbitrary, right? You can do it in this situation, but not that situation. Why? Ah. Is God just trying to steal my fun, steal my joy, right? Or the big one now, more so, homosexuality. Oh, people say that you're born that way, right? If you're born that way, could it really be wrong, right? Would God have created me this way and this have this thing be a sin? I don't know. Or if, if they both genuinely love each other and want to get married, how could that be wrong, right? Maybe it was wrong when the Bible was written. But haven't we advanced as a society to this point now where we're at? Haven't we progressed? Hasn't science come along and showed us these other things? We, what we need to realize, guys, is in those kind of situations, what I've done is I've actually placed my understanding as sort of the gatekeeper of morality. And if I don't understand why it's wrong, or maybe if I don't agree that it is wrong, I don't feel any obligation to have to do it. A lot of society views these issues through this lens now. If I don't think it's wrong, who are you to tell me that this thing is wrong? See, what I've done is now I've elevated my thoughts above the thoughts of the Lord, and that's a dangerous place to be. So the first principle today, if God says it's wrong, then it's wrong. He has purposes, he has his ways that are higher than our ways, and it doesn't actually matter if I understand those things or not. God does not answer to me. He is under no obligation to explain himself to me. Oftentimes he will, but he's not under obligation to do that. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't matter if I understand it or not. If God says it, then that's the truth of the matter. So principle one, let's jump ahead, chapter seven, where we'll focus most of our time. Verse one. Now, remember, guys, this is right... <laughs> After the battle of Jericho, right? Leads right into this. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. 
what we see here is that this downfall of the nation takes place right on the heels of a great victory. They had just won this great miraculous battle, right? This was Jericho. This was an impenetrable city. It had these massive walls that came tumbling down at a shout. You guys know the song, right? You guys know that song? Josh fought the battle of Jericho. No? You're leaving me hanging. Yeah, some of you guys know it. It's a great song. Top 10 children's ministry songs of all time. Josh fought the battle of Jericho. It's up there. Right? You guys know the song. It happened in a, supernaturally in a way so that it was obvious to everybody that God had won the victory. There was no doubt that he was real, that he was amongst them, that he was with them, that he was fighting for them. And yet right afterwards, this great sin is going to occur. So the second principle for us today is, listen, be careful not to let your spiritual guard down. See, in the midst of our victories, the enemy is still at work, and so is our sinful nature. These things don't take time off. In fact, this is often when they come at us the hardest. Sometimes after a great victory, we actually let our guard down. We don't do the same things that we normally do. We don't take the same precautions that we normally take. We see it happen all the time in the sports world, right? It's rival week. This is the big rival team that you're gearing up to play. You spend extra time practicing, right? You're taking care of your body. Maybe you're studying film, all this sort of stuff. You go out, you win this great victory over your rival, you celebrate, and then it's like you take time off, right? And you go out, maybe they celebrate too much or whatever, and you see it a lot. The very next week, they'll lose to a team that's far inferior to them, right? They just won. They just beat this really good team, and then you come back the next game, and you lose to a lesser team. Some of my, personally, some of my worst spiritual decisions have come when I've let my guard down because I just had a great spiritual victory. We start to get overconfident, right? Jump down two and three. It says, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Flip back to me with me, chapter 6. Verses 1 through 5, it says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people will shout with, sorry, with a great, (laughs) my dog ate my Bible. That's that's actually real, it did. With a great shout, and the wall of the city uh, will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, (laughs) every man straight before him. You see the difference in there? For the battle of Jericho, where did the people get their battle instructions? They were given directly from the Lord, right? 
Where do they get their instructions for battle in this one against AI? From the spies, right? From the men that Joshua sent in. You see the difference in that? One of the main ways that we can let our spiritual guard down is when I stop seeking direction from the Lord and I begin to rely on the advice of men. Now, was the advice foolish that these spies gave? Not really. It was a small city. It should have been easily defeated. The problem was that they'd become overconfident now in their own ability and they forgot to rely on the instructions of the Lord. See, the plan wasn't the problem. They could have had a dozen different plans, and they all would have failed, because the problem was that there was sin in the camp. Now, Joshua and the people at large, they didn't commit the sin. Most of them didn't even know about the sin, but their lives were all interconnected, right? And the consequences that were about to fall on them, they would have been avoided, if they had sought the Lord beforehand. You know, if they'd done beforehand like they did with Jericho, if they went to the Lord, God would have said, no, don't go to this battle because there's sin in the camp and you need to deal with that first. It would have prevented a lot of, a lot of heartache, right? A lot of devastation. Now, some of that is a fault on the leadership there. And that's a, a different message for a different time. But it's important for us to understand that we need to go to the Lord when we have decisions to make. Sometimes to go a certain path is fine, but because our lives are interconnected with other people, there are other times where that same path is actually not okay. You know, think about a runner who every day for a year has run the same route around their neighborhood. They know where all the houses are, all of this sort of stuff, right? Never had a problem. Well, let's say one of those houses on that, on that route has a giant pit bull that lives in the backyard, and the backyard's fenced in. On July 4th, fireworks go off, pit bull freaks out, jumps the fence, which is actually one of the biggest days of the year that dogs run away is from fireworks. They freak out, right? Now you've got this giant pit bull on the outside, and the next day, and that person runs that same route again, there could be a big problem, right? It's not any fault of the runner, but our lives are interconnected with other people around us. And sometimes when somebody else does something and makes a mistake, it can actually affect me. And so we can fall into a trap, a spiritual trap, of just saying God has always done these things in this way in my life, and so I'm just going to keep doing it that way, and God's going to keep doing what he's doing. But that's not always the case. We don't want to place God in this box where he's got to act a certain way. If I do a certain thing, God will always do this other certain thing. Right? Our lives are actually interconnected with other people's, and somebody else's mistake can affect me. And that's why I need to be constantly going to the Lord and seeking his advice for these things. Because without that, I can just keep going the same path and I can end up in a lot of trouble, and sometimes it's not because of any fault of my own, right? The nation of Israel as a whole was going to end up in a lot of trouble, not because most of them had sinned, but it could have been prevented 
if they had sought the directions of the Lord beforehand. So number two, principle number two, is we need to be careful not to let our spiritual guard down. So the third thing is we need to be aware of of self-deception. The victory at this Jericho, at this great city, had maybe caused a sense of complacency within and among the people, and this easily leads to self-deceit. And I think this man, Achan, who makes this terrible mistake, I think that he was very self-deceived uh, in, in three ways. Uh, I think that he was deceived about the nature and character of God. I think he was deceived about the visibility of his sin. And I think he was deceived about the effects of his sin. First, the nature and the character of God. Six, in his verses in chapter 6, it was very clear what God said, right? Don't do it. You'll be cursed. Everybody else in your family, in the tribe, in the nation, a curse will come upon all of them. The instructions, the warning, it was very clear. Don't take these things. Achan heard the instructions. He saw the miracle, but he still did that thing anyway. And he knew that it was wrong. We know he knows it was wrong because it says when he takes them later on in the chapter, it says he hides those things. So he knew that what he did was wrong. And he took it anyway. See, I think that he had deceived himself as to the nature and character of God. There was a warning that he would be cursed and all the people would be cursed. Now, if I told you that I was a prophet from the Lord, and if I said anybody that goes out from here and you eat McDonald's, you're going to be cursed, and you and your family and your church, right? Or maybe you'd never eat McDonald's anyway, but whatever food that you like, right? If I told you you're going to be cursed if you went out and eat it, how many of you would still go out and eat that thing? Probably most of you, right? Why? It's McDonald's. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. You didn't believe what I said, right? You didn't believe that I said who I was. And you didn't believe that those consequences were real, right? I'm going to be cursed if I eat from McDonald's. I might gain some weight, but... Right? You know, over the past two years, we've, we've seen a lot of people on television telling us to do and behave in certain ways, right? Related to, to the pandemic, right? And you've got entertainers and politicians and health officials, and some people are saying do this, some people are saying do that, right? Wear masks, don't wear masks, get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine, all of this stuff. And what I found the majority of the time is that most people, whether or not they did that thing that they were being told to do, depended on, one, if they trusted that person, and two, if they believed that those consequences were real. Right? If I believe what the person's telling me and that those are, could be the potential consequences, I, in all likelihood, will do that thing. If I don't trust them and don't believe those consequences were real, I'm probably not going to do that thing. Right? That's the way that we tend to process things. I think that that's how Achan processed things and what God was saying to him. Because God was actually very clear. You will be cursed if you do this. So Achan has to be processing this in a way Well, God doesn't really mean that, right? I mean, he's the God of the nation of Israel. He's for us. He just won this great victory. We're his sons and his daughters. There's no way that he would really curse all of the camp, 
He didn't believe that God was who he said he was and that those consequences were real. You know, I know that's a general rule, but, right? Listen, God is holy. He's just. And he keeps his word. So we can't be deceived about the nature and character of God if there's sin in our own life. Second, I think he was deceived about the visibility of his sin. I see he thought it was done in secret. Nobody knew. He hid it away. Maybe he was thinking later on when the smoke clears, when people have forgotten about Jericho, I'll bring this stuff out and be able to enjoy it. But what he did not take into account is that he may have been the only person in the entire camp that knew, but it wasn't really hidden, right? God saw exactly how it happened. He knew what color the garment was. He knew the weight of the silver. He knew the weight of the gold. He knew the plan that he had. He knew exactly how he pulled it off. He knew the motivation of his heart. God knew the how, when, where, why, to what extent, all of that. God knew. It was not really hidden. No matter how good we try to hide something, God sees. And I think the third way that he was deceived was to the effects of this sin. Imagine as he looked around, right? This giant city laid waste, just thinking, there is so much spoil here, right? There's so much. It's everywhere. Who's it going to hurt? What's it going to matter if I just take a little bit of this? The people aren't going to care that are there. They're dead, right? They're not going to care. It had to be one of the overwhelming ways that he convinced himself it was okay to do this because it wasn't actually going to hurt somebody. This was a victimless thing that he was doing here in his own mind. But read verses 4 through 6 with me. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. For they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. This victimless sin here that he committed. As these battle reports started to come back into the camp, you can imagine the instant drop in his heart in the countenance of Achan, right? As the lies that he tried to convince himself of, as they all came crashing down in that instant. You guys ever tried to convince yourself of a lie, right? And then afterwards when you see it starts to be found out, starts to unravel, you're just thinking like, what was I thinking? I'm so stupid. How did I ever believe that that was going to be the case. And as these people come and they're crying out in anguish, as Joshua, uh, as, he, as he tears his clothes, it tells us there in verse 6, as he falls on his face before the Lord, and Joshua questions why. Achan knew. Now, as the people looked around, they assessed this battle situation and couldn't see anything wrong with the plan. Achan knew what was wrong, right? And this sort of contrived, foolish position that his sin wasn't affecting anyone else came to this heart-crushing halt when he learned that these 36 men, 36 husbands, 36 fathers, 36 sons, who had gone out to fight for everyone else, had lost their lives, and now the people were in panic, right? That was the price of his harmless, his victimless sin, 36 lives lost, families devastated, countless friends in mourning, the entire camp in disarray. And he knew in that instant, right, that this was not a victimless a harmless sin. Not only was it a lie that it wouldn't hurt others, but it was about to bring his entire family to ruin, right? 
Don't be deceived by sin. That's the third thing. Don't be deceived by sin. It's never going to be worth it. And then the, the fourth principle here, it's really a 4A and 4B. Um, let's look at verse 10. We'll jump down a few verses. It says, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded them. For they have even, even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Look at this. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Fourth principle is that sin needs to be dealt with. Before God was going to go even one step further with these people, before he would give them even one more victory, the sin needed to be dealt with. See what it said there in verse 12, right? Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy that accursed thing from among you. They could have sent more soldiers and attacked. They could have sent more and more soldiers and attacked, and they would have kept losing. They could have sent their entire army against Ai, and they would have lost that battle because God was no longer with them. And they were going to continue to lose and lose and lose until that sin was dealt with. Uh, Jump ahead a couple verses. Verse 16 so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his, his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. So Achan is now, he's been found out, right? And he confesses all of this before the people. He lays it bare. This is what I've done. I've coveted. I saw it. I knew it was wrong. I convinced myself to do it anyway. I convinced myself that I wouldn't get caught and it would be worth it. See, confession is a necessary component in restoring our relationship with the Lord. And it is a necessary component of us dealing with our sin. Confession, confession can be very powerful. Right? It can actually be very freeing. You've heard stories of people that have committed crimes, and for years they were on the run and had it hidden, but eventually they get, get caught. And a lot of times what they say is there's a part of them that was actually glad that they had gotten caught because the guilt of what they had done was crushing down on them. So this part uh, of confession that's very freeing, and oftentimes God will show mercy on us, when we fail, there are countless times when he's shown mercy on me, and he's well within his right to do that. But confession doesn't always alleviate the consequences of sin. 
It couldn't bring those 36 lives back. It wouldn't take away the punishment that God had said was going to come. God is always going to honor his, his word, right? And this was actually going to bring destruction on his whole family. There's no such thing as a harmless sin. So confession, sin needs to be dealt with. The first part of that is getting it out in the open so that it can be dealt with. And then sort of the last principle here, verse 23, uh, skip 25. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. That's important there. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. The Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Now that sin had been brought into the light and was dealt with, the people could go on and have victory. They could move forward in the purposes that God had for them. He'd already promised them the land. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he tells them, I am going to give you this land. It was already promised to them. They were going to get the land, but they were not going to get there walking outside of his commands and away from his presence. But now that the sin had been dealt with, as they followed the path that the Lord laid out for them, they would experience the victory that had already been promised, that already said was theirs. See, sin could take somebody off the path. It can do that for you and I, off the path that God has for us. But it can never get us so far off that God wouldn't receive us back when we return to him and we confess. So these five sort of principles here, what do we do with these in our own life, right? What do we make of these principles? Well, first, if God says something that's wrong, it's wrong. It doesn't matter if I understand it, right? I don't have my own truth and you have your own truth. You hear that a lot today, right? Well, that's your truth. What is a woman? Well, you have your truth, I have mine. No, no, there is one truth, one truth, and it's God's truth. And if God says something wrong, then it's wrong. It doesn't matter if I understand it or not. I yield to God because he is a creator, right? I am the created one. Second, we have to be wary and fight against letting our spiritual guard down, especially after a great victory, that mountaintop experience. Understand that that's often when we're most vulnerable. Don't be overconfident in our own abilities. Sometimes when things are going well, we, we tend to relax, right? Things are going good in my walk with the Lord. I don't need to pray as much. I don't need to study the word. Things are going good right now. I can skip devos. Logically, that doesn't make sense, right? The, thing, the reason why things are going good is because you are pouring your life into those things. Don't become overconfident in your own abilities. You need to continue to rely on the wisdom and the instruction of the Lord. See, here's the thing, guys. When I'm more reliant on my past relationship with the Lord than I am on its present condition, then I'm in trouble. When I'm more reliant on how my past relationship with him than the present, I'm open for disaster. Once you let your guard down, the enemy strikes. He knows when we're vulnerable. He goes about like a roaring lion, right? Lions go after the weak, the young, the vulnerable, those that are oblivious to the danger around them and they will ravage and destroy. And that's what our enemy is after in our lives. He's looking for that moment when we're vulnerable, 
when we're weak, when we're isolated, to strike out. Uh, the third thing, wrapping up here in just, just a couple minutes, Chuck. Uh, Understand, when we find ourselves in bondage to sin, it's often for the same reasons that we looked at earlier. We've deceived ourselves about the nature and character of God. Most of the time when we sin, it's not because we didn't know it was wrong, right? Most of the time we know it's a clear violation. Sexual immorality, we know it's wrong. Addiction of any kind, we know that that's wrong. Anger, lashing out with our tongue, we know those things are wrong. It's not an issue of knowing right for wrong. Sometimes it blows my mind. It might blow your mind the things that you actually do, right? You've seen God do miracles in your life, uh, maybe not quite like Achan saw, but you've seen him work in your life or in the lives of people around you, and you've seen the destruction of sin, maybe in your family, in your own heart, in your own life. You've seen the damage that adultery can do or sexual immorality or addiction or violence. You've seen those things, and yet we can find ourselves falling into that same thing over and over and over again and again and again. Why do I keep doing this, right? I know that it's wrong, but I just keep doing it over and over. On some level, I've convinced myself that God's not who he says he is and that these consequences of my sin aren't real. But understand, guys, this sin has consequences. God is a God of his word. There is a day coming when you will be held accountable. You say, well, my life is going good. Maybe God doesn't really care about it that much. Listen, don't mistake the long-suffering of the Lord for his uh, condoning of what you're doing, right? There is a day coming where we will be held accountable for every idle word that we speak. Second, we can deceive ourselves about the visibility of our sin. There are many sins we keep hidden, these secret sins. We're able to put on this mask and pretend that we're somebody that we're not. Some people are better at this than others. Some people, their entire life is like one giant mask, right? Nobody on the outside sees what's really happening on the inside. Say, if anybody ever actually really saw, nobody would want anything to do with me. Make no mistake, guys. God sees these things. You might be the only person that knows. You might be the only person at work who knows that you you found a way to, to cheat the company out of money. You might be the only person in your family who actually knows what you look at on your phone at night. You might be the only person in, in the world who, you know, knows, whatever, like, you know, I killed my neighbor and buried him in the backyard, right? I hope that that's not you <laughs> today. But you might be the only person in the world who knows that, but it's not hidden from God. You can try to convince yourself that he doesn't see it, but deep down you know that's foolishness, right? One day everything's going to be brought into the light. And we can be deceived about the effects of sin. There is no victimless sin. Pornography, lust, gambling, these are some of the things that we're told is not really that big of a deal because nobody gets hurt in those things. So nothing's further than, from the truth than that. Sin always has consequences. It's always damaging. It's damaging immediately on, on us because it breaks our relationship with the Lord, right? breaks our fellowship that's first but then the tentacles of sin are far reaching and they get into every corner of our life you know if if i struggle with anger lashing out in anger towards my family that will have long-term effects on, on you know my wife feeling rejected my kids being afraid of me my kids growing up you know and leaving the house possibly hating me or 
doing the same behaviors that I did or both of those things combined, right? Some of you have seen addiction firsthand, not just drugs. That's, there's other things that we can be addicted to, right? Alcohol, sexual things, pornography. It's beyond even that just something is illegal, right? It causes a breakdown in my physical well-being, causes a breakdown in my mental well-being. It's a waste of material goods. It causes lawlessness. I just got to do that thing. I do whatever it takes to have that experience again. Produces desperation in families and produces children that walk in that same path. You can take pretty much any sin. You start to trace down the actual long-term effects, and it would be startling if you could see it. There's no such thing as a victimless sin. The only reason we say that is because we're trying to convince ourselves of something that we already know isn't true. We're trying to make ourselves feel good about the bad thing that we did. Sometimes these consequences are dramatic. They're life-altering, like in the story of Achan. And if we'd known in the beginning that that would be the end result, we would have never allowed ourselves to start down that path. If Achan knew that a few days later him and his whole family would be dead, he doesn't do that, right? If we knew the destruction that our sin now would cause down the road. But listen, the consequences of sin are real. And then last, most important for you guys here, there's always a way back home. There's always a way to restore the relationship with God. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That doesn't mean that it takes away the, all the consequences. You know, I may not be able to restore my relationship with my family and friends the, the way it was. Sometimes we do things, we cross a line that once we do, things can't go back to how they were before. But there's always a way back in the right fellowship with the Lord. And it's never too late to be used by him. It's never too late to get back on the path that he has for your life. See, the Israelites, they had a destination. They had a destiny ahead of them. But they weren't going to come into that victory. They weren't going to get into the promised land while sin was still in the camp. It had to come out in the open so that it could be dealt with. Listen, you will never live the life that God really has for you if you stay in bondage to sin. You're not going to be able to truly abide in the vine if you're living a life of unrepentant sin. 1 John 1, 6, it tells us that, right? If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie, we're not practicing the truth. Guys, most of you would be absolutely blown away if you knew even half of what God wants to do with your life if you cleared out the sin and truly abided and surrendered to him, you will be blown away by how God would use you. But you will not be all that God intends for you to be in your relationship with him, with your family, with your friends, if you're living in sin and hiding in darkness. This doesn't have anything to do with health and wealth, right? Plenty of wealthy people in bondage to sin and poor people that are living rightly. Plenty of healthy people that walk in darkness and sick people who live in the light of his glory, right? doesn't have relate anything to do with that. But sin itself, when it's brought into the light, it can be dealt with. When it's dealt with, it restores our relationship with the Lord. When that's restored, it can begin to restore our relationship with others around us. 
And it's at that point the Holy Spirit begins to empower us for victory over other areas of our life. So guys, don't wait. Don't wait until destruction is upon your house like Achan did to deal with it. There's always a way back when you surrender. So if you're here today and you're weighed down with some sin, right? Maybe it's something that you know is wrong. Maybe the instant I said that, there's something in your mind that you know, I am messing up in this area and I know it. Or maybe it's something that you're struggling with that you know the scriptures say it's wrong, but you're finding it hard to understand why, and you're finding it hard to put yourself in agreement with what the Lord is saying. You're having this internal argument. You're trying to convince yourself that it's not wrong. Listen, if you're here today and there's some unrepentant sin in your life, remember, there is no victimless, there is no harmless sins. It doesn't matter if you don't think it affects anybody else. I guarantee you that it does. And it doesn't matter if you don't think that anybody else sees it, because God does. But listen, guys, there is a way back. And it will be sad if you left here today, if you left this conference, hearing all these great teachings from all these great guys about how to live and biding in the vine, and it doesn't actually produce a change in your life because there is sin that's keeping you from abiding in the vine. Maybe today is the day that you get that out in the open. You certainly need to confess it to the Lord. And if you sinned against your brother or sister, maybe you need to confess it to them. But maybe today is that day. If you struggled with something for a long time, let today be the day that you break free from that. You confess it, right? And we still struggle throughout our lives. But until sin is brought out in the open and dealt with, it's always going to have more leverage over us than it ever should. You confess it, let it be dealt with, and finally, you can move forward in the true life that the Lord has for you. And he will do amazing things with you when we're truly surrendered and truly abiding in him. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, Lord. It stands above all. I pray that the things that we study today, that that if it was just my words, Lord, that it would be blown off into the wind. But if there was something in here, Lord, that you would speak into a heart today, that it would drive deep, and that we would come under conviction, and that we would not want to leave this place until we make it right with you. I pray for each young person in this room, Lord. I pray for each person in this room that we will fall more in love with you. If there's something that's keeping us from abiding in you, Lord, that we would deal with that today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.